Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. We're here in the home stretch of the book of Zechariah, looking at Zechariah chapter 11 today. And these last few chapters, I mean, they are tricky. Uh, you know, what? where do you place these? You know, what? what is uh, Zechariah looking at? You know, the prophet himself, what is he living through when he's saying all of these things? Uh, people can go a lot of different directions with this. We saw the last couple times um, there are actually some uh, ways that we can make sense of this on a couple different levels. Is that what we have here today in chapter 11? As you have more of this talk of the shepherds wailing and their glory being ruined, um, or is this something else altogether? You got two stabs, one named union and one named favor. The stabs are broken and you get... 30 pieces of silver. Now, hang on a second. A lot of stuff going on here today. Joining us, we've got Pastor Scott Adel, pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collins Hill, Illinois. Good morning. Welcome back, brother. Good to have you with us. It's good to be here. Good morning to you. So, yeah, Zechariah chapter 11. It's, um, yeah, again, we don't see this one pop up in the lectionary, but, uh, you know, as, as confusing as the as the chapter might be in terms of anchoring the whole thing, well, this is one that does pop up in the New Testament, at least a part of it. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, you've been going through Zechariah, and Zechariah, obviously the entire book is different. And you think especially first of those different visions that he sees in the first eight chapters, and you're like, wow, that was different. <laughs> but then when you roll in the second half, you're like, Okay, the first eight chapters might have been the normal part of the book. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really well said, right? You're thinking to yourself, "Oh, that was actually the easy part." I didn't, I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it reminds me a lot of Isaiah when we went through Isaiah. How like the first thirty nine chapters, in a lot of ways, kind of line up with the whole Assyrian crisis in kind of uh -huh. a straightforward way, actually. And then it's yeah. when you get to. Uh, chapter 40 onwards, which is ironically the part that we're on, almost more familiar with and the, and the part that mm -hmm. seems to almost pop up in the New Testament more often, that then becomes the part where you're like, now hang on a second. And I feel like it's almost the same thing here where it's like the first eight chapters, you're sort of like, yeah, okay, I can see how that, yeah, you know, it's with Haggai and, you know, building yeah. the temple and okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's symbolic language, but it makes sense. But then same sort of thing. There's this like transition point where it's just, it just kind of feels like all bets are off. But but like you said, also the the one that the half that gets quoted. I mean, there are yeah. at least three, maybe even four uh, different verses in the second half of Zechariah that are pulled up in the New Testament. So the fact that he is a prophet is not in doubt. I mean, he's quoted oh, yeah. multiple times, uh, even uh, yeah, multiple times in the New Testament. So and including right. chapter eleven. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So looking forward to uh, get, getting there. We'll have to make sure we save some good time for this. Uh, I mean, just because it, it is symbolism of a different kind here, right? This is kind of that sort of like action uh, symbolism that you see in some of the other prophets. So I want to make sure we yeah. spend a, a good chunk of time at that at the end. Uh, but yes, let's go ahead and dig into this chapter. As we get started, would you say a prayer and for everyone listening today? Yeah, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this day to uh, read your word, especially as it is a word that speaks ultimately about your Son, Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, and how you have blessed us and favored us uh, and united us to him so that we will be with him forever. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Okay, let's go ahead then and look at these first three verses and, and this is this is going to be the first tough question, I think. Um, we can look at these three verses, and then we got to decide one, what what question. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. Even verse one, right? Um, but like, if we look at these three verses, we're just going to want to figure out: okay, does this go with the previous chapter, or is this something new? I, I think is kind of maybe the, the the quickest way to summarize the difficulty of this of this opening section and. Um, I think people go different ways on it, but let's go ahead and, and just get this part read here. Zechariah chapter 11, first three verses. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. 
Wail, O cypress, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. All right. So, you know, after what we had, you can you can see why there's the traditional paragraphing and um, numbering of the chapters, right? The previous chapter seemed to be, I don't know, from our perspective, like a happy thing, right? We were like talking about, uh-huh. I will strengthen the house of Judah, save the house of Joseph, and the pride of Assyria shall be laid low. And that, I mean, that, that sound positive. Um, yeah. But then you turn here and it sounds very, well, I mean, just look at the caption, right? In the ESV, the flock doomed to slaughter. So, so, so right. It does it. Is it something new here? Is it actually an extension of what we had before? What, what are you thinking? I think there's got to be some extension. I mean, it, it, when you began chapter nine, it, it talked about the Oracle. And then when you go to chapter 12, it's going to be another Oracle. So the second half of Zechariah is dominated by these two oracles. Right. And yeah, I do think there's some continuation because you, you, you quoted the end of chapter 10, which is true. It's talking about good things. But those good things are in response to what he said, for instance, in verse 3. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. And the second half of chapter 10 flows out of that, that it is the Lord right. who will be the good shepherd and will call out his people. And he lists several different nations, Egypt, Assyria, Gilead, Lebanon, Egypt. All, and, I mean, when you get to uh, chapter 11, Bashan is added, Jordan. Uh, there, there's certainly these things I think are connected. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that it's, and, and you, you see this in the commentators that, you know, there's a, there have been, especially traditionally anyway, um, a lot of, well, I say traditionally, I mean, <clears throat> say like in Christian interpretation and in like, you know, at the last, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know, may, maybe, the, of the more conservative end in, in the last century. Um, you may have had more people who are like wanting to say, this is just something totally different. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but a, as you're getting at, there's actually a lot of continuity here. Um, one thing we didn't even mention here, right. Um, in chapter 11, right. There's, there's no indication, right. Of a new chapter in the Hebrew. There's, no. there's not even like any kind of conjunction at all. Um, at the beginning of chapter one, there's, there's no, there's no like, you know, signal word of like, of woe or, or ha or, or um, something like, you know, and, and then the Lord said, um, I mean, there's nothing that indicates really like a strong transition. And as you said, really the, the language is all stuff that we saw in the previous chapter. You talk about the shepherds. Yeah. Well, just like you said, my anger is hot against the shepherds, right? I will punish the leaders. Um, and so, I mean, I think that really, just as you're saying, the natural way to take this is, well, if God's going to, as it said in verse 10, bring um, the resurrected tribe of Ephraim into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, well, he's mm. got to make room for him. Yeah. I, I mean, right? I mean, so so he's got to right now, um, you know, dispossess the people who are currently occupying places like Lebanon and, and Bashan and all the rest, right? So that his people can move in. So, I mean, it seems in a lot of ways like this is just a natural continuation of um, what you had in chapter 10. And really it's kind of that uh, old school prophetic style where your your, or, your oracle always seems to end on a note of fire and destruction, you know? I mean, it's just, just like Isaiah. It's just, that's, that's how they rolled, it seemed, you know? And so this seems yeah. to just be the conclusion of what we saw earlier. I, I, yeah, I, I fully agree that it, that it is a continuation of the shepherd talk, and the rest of the left, the rest of the chapter will be shepherd talk as well. Yeah, right. Okay, so then, so we we have this idea. So you know, God God is right going to work um, this this thing for the salvation of His people and and to bring all these people back. Right, He's going to resettle them, but in order to do that, um, there's going to have to be punishment and wrath that gets poured out. Uh, on the on the on the shepherds on the people who are currently ruling over his people and we talked about what that might refer to that um you know on a certain level that does sort of sound like the situation um of of god's people when they were underneath the the rule of the seleucids right a very oppressive regime right 
and that you had like a mini fulfillment of this uh, when, when it came to the Maccabean Revolt. And then, of course, a larger fulfillment later on um, mm-hmm. in, in, in the Lord Jesus. Um, yeah. your, your, your thoughts on, on the, these three verses here and connecting them to um, different situations and fulfillments? Yeah, so, I mean, Zechariah is talking about uh, the return from the exile for both Israel and Judah. And so, I mean, as to who the bad shepherds are, there's been multiple guesses. I think uh, one of the commentaries I looked at said that there over 40 different names have been placed on these these bad shepherds that they're talking <laughs> about. And you you yeah. can pick out the Babylonians, the Persians, uh, whoever you want to pick out. Yeah. There is no shortage of bad shepherds, as we'll see uh, as, yeah. as the rest of the chapter runs on. Yeah. And you're right. There are multiple times in history where you could say, well, bad shepherds have been pushed back. True. Uh, ultimately, what's going to become interesting in this chapter and how it relates to, as you were talking about earlier, Jesus Christ, is how the world regards an actual good shepherd and what they do to him is... Uh, is I think the the true fulfillment of this. Uh, I I agree. I think that uh, it, it just like so many of these things, and of course we're going to see this when we get to Revelation coming up really soon. Um, you know when when he talks about like the the four horsemen, right? It's like yeah, mm-hmm. you know people sometimes try to like you know identify you know exactly like okay the, this yes. this particular king was the guy who was riding the white horse, right? And it's just like, uh-huh. you know, I mean, especially there in Revelation, I feel like they are actually just meant to be kind of general characterizations of worldly mm-hmm. power, right? So to a certain extent, you know, you wonder if maybe a little bit of that's going on here, that this is just kind of the pattern that's always going on. Um, I think that's, that's certainly a possibility um, yeah. in addition to maybe considering perhaps one of them uh, you know, a little bit more in focus, like given chapter nine with the mention of the Greeks, but yeah, yeah keeping a couple I mean, things on. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that there's, there's just this too, that Zachariah, when he wants to call out people by name, can and yeah. does. On the other hand, when, when prophets want to say, say things that are going to be a little bit broader and going to apply to different situations, they can speak just as we, we heard him speak. And it does apply. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Both both modes are available, certainly. All right. Well, let's go ahead. As you said, like uh, what's coming up is then this this different kind of shepherd, though, right? So let, let's go ahead and take a look at that. Picking it up at verse four, then. Thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished, and those who sell them say, "Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich." And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. Okay, so now this, I mean, this is pretty striking here. Like, I can't recall... uh, (laughs) ever an instance where i mean assuming that this is zechariah who's being i mean which is also just a valid question too i mean is is god talking to zechariah and if he is is he telling the prophet to become shepherd i mean that's that's pretty unusual using royal language uh, to apply it to a prophet right so um and then if just of course what actually the description is right i mean just um yeah there's a few questions really that are all raised just in these four verses here yeah, I, I think you're right. This is the way I'd lean, because verse 7 just says, so I became a shepherd. Uh, right. I think this is kind of an acted-out prophecy, which which you see in Isaiah, which you see in Ezekiel, and, and a couple different, Hosea, certainly, where God just tells them, do this, and in doing this, it is an, what happens in your life is an acted-out parable and prophecy. And so, yeah, I, I would put this in that category and that Zechariah will, in some fashion, live this out for a short while. But it's also just very striking, like you said, the language. Become shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter. So it's not just that he becomes a shepherd, but that already God knows and sees that he will be rejected as a good shepherd. And therefore, this means the slaughter of those sheep, but kind of at, at their own 
at their own desire, at their own wish. They they will reject the good shepherd and and choose bad shepherds who who lead them to slaughter and who sell them and get rich off of them and have no pity on the people. But this this is in some some sense what they choose. Right. Well, and, and I appreciate that that you brought up, um, you know, Hosea, for instance, right, where you, you have like a, a, I mean, a really another example of this, right, where the the prophet is, I mean, they they're doing something, right, performing a certain action, and it's supposed to be mm-hmm. representative of something bigger that's going on, and you're you're kind of starting to speak to what what exactly that that bigger thing that's happening in, in the life of the people might be, um, that. That right, like by by doing this, by um, you know, it, it seems like when, when he gets the instruction, I mean, and we'll and we'll see it in just a second. You know, it, it's like he's acting it out. So yeah. it's not as if he necessarily, I, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, maybe we can read it this way. I'll have to take a look in a minute here. Um, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily saying he becomes like leader or or king of the people. But I mean, whatever he's doing represents right the status of mm-hmm. um the unity and the rule of of the people um as, as a message of saying hey look this is what's going on here um just as hosea right when he um it, you know he's it's a very uh of course it, the, how you translate this but right he's he's told to, to marry let's say a promiscuous woman right mm-hmm. um because it's supposed to represent that israel has been promiscuous with yeah. relation to her God, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's just like this thing where he's representing um, something bigger when, when he is, you know, becoming shepherd of the flock, so to speak, right? He's not just standing for himself. He, he's standing for, I mean, in, in some ways, the whole people. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know, like, well, yeah, when we go on, I don't know if it means that he becomes a leader of the people or if he actually just becomes a shepherd, like well, yeah, in some sense, yeah. Well, yeah, no, that's right. I mean, and certainly we, we've seen that too, where, where God actually uses literal shepherds to be His yeah. prophets, right? So it could just be like, yeah, go go literally be a shepherd, right? So that you can symbolically represent, right? Like what what shepherd means. So there's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's another good point as well. Uh, well, I, I, what last thing here? I mean, this the thing about the the flock being doomed to slaughter, right? I mean, I'm thinking about this. We we just read the first part of the three verses, and I think this is part of the reason why people get uh, you know different sorts of takes on this. Because if you read this right, that the flock is doomed to slaughter, mm-hmm. right, and that's like the title that ESV has put here, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can kind of easily then see those first three verses then as a description of Israel experiencing um, mm-hmm. some kind of ruin or devastation, rather than right. This idea of well, he's punishing the shepherds, um, and, and and that's why like it's actually those first three verses are actually kind of good news because um, he's you know defeating our enemies right like uh, in Revelation mm-hmm. it talks about the wrath of the Lamb right um, defeating yeah. the enemies of God so um, so it, it is kind of a tension you know how do you take this flock doomed to slaughter is is that talking about the judgment that's been described in the oracle or is the doomed to slaughter talking about a situation that was that was going on and and, and what kind of situation might have been going on and, and as, as you were saying you know it seems that isn't this just true of you know every age in some ways right like aren't the the yep. rich and the powerful always um mm-hmm. fleecing huh, the the people the flock right um yep. you know and of course in, in a big way though the thing that my mind goes to we talked about this a little bit with daniel and the seleucids um you know, I mean, my goodness, Antiochus the Fourth, like what he was doing to the people. I mean, mm-hmm. literally crucifying, you know, thousands of people there mm-hmm. in Israel. I mean, yeah, that they, they were being slaughtered. I think anyone would say, um, looking at that historical situation. Yeah, at, at the same time, not not exactly without their own faults. I mean, it is, I don't know if you're going to Malachi next, but as you keep reading the prophets who come after. Zechariah, it's not like the people were on their best behavior either. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And, and we saw that a little bit too, actually, last time. Like at the beginning of chapter 10, we saw that um, in verse 2, the household gods utter nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's not as if all of Israel was, you know, in, in perfect solidarity and opposition 
to their right. new Greek and Seleucid overlords, right? There was, um, I mean, I mean, wh why were they making money off of them, right? I mean, I mean, historically, again, um, the the priesthood went to the highest bidder, right? I mean, it was a fundraiser for Antiochus, right? I, I mean, there well, there was a lot Malachi, of complicity in the midst of it. Yeah, and this this is what Malachi complains is that the priests are not doing their job. They're not guarding the right. word of the Lord. They're not instructing people correctly. And so, I mean, Malachi is just a generation or two after Zechariah, but this this is the great shame of those who return from the exile is you think of that as a fulfillment of the prophecies, but then the people end up being just as bad as their forefathers, the forefathers that got punished, that got sent into exile. And even as Nehemiah and Haggai offer up prayers saying, we recognize our forefathers sinned, and this is what got us kicked out of the Holy Land. We don't want to do that. And obviously there are people like Nehemiah and Zechariah and Haggai uh, who do pray that prayer earnestly and who do want to live and be faithful to the Lord. But as you, as you read Nehemiah and Haggai and Malachi and Zechariah, you see that not everyone feels that way. And for many people, it just becomes business as usual, where if you can fleece people, you can fleece them. Right. And, well, and leave them and, away and then, from the Lord. Yes. Right. And well, and then just I mean, like you were saying that 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 drift into business as usual. Right. That's a good mm -hmm. way of putting it. That it just it just just kind of this is what naturally happens, right? You get lax. You know, in the first part of Zechariah, there's a and, and also in Haggai we saw um, there was this description of you know God you know pours out His Spirit, right, um, and He mm -hmm. stirs up the spirit of the people, right, and they're moved and. You know, they had been neglecting the the reconstruction of the temple, and all of a sudden, we're going to like build yep. this thing in like like a year or two, right? Um, yep. And so that happens, right? But then it's like after a time, we we forget, we get lax, we take it for granted, right? And we and we drift back into these old familiar patterns of complacency, and with it idolatry and compromising and so on and the rest, right? So I mean, it, it really is just. I mean, it is interesting how Zacharias can seemingly speak to two different situations that maybe are even separated by some amount of time, um, mm -hmm. but that it really is kind of like the same people, and, and, and it's the same kind of thing you had in Isaiah. we, we got to hold that thought because we got to take our break here, but everybody hang with us. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 11 here on Nice Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Friday, March 13th, 2020, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Carl and Barbara Bretz of Mascuda, Illinois. Carl and Barbara made a gift to KFUO Radio in honor of Barbara's mother, Elaine Hargis, whose 101st birthday would have been today, and in honor of Carl's mother, Marie Bretz, whose 111th birthday would have been on April 12th, both of whom have been called home to the Lord. Thank you, Carl and Barbara Bretz, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Here is what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. It's like we Bible-believing Christians have our own special uh, event. I love that. Wish the whole world could belong to Jesus. I really appreciate this, and I'm enjoying it very, very much. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. Thank you. 
Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 11 today. We're joined by Pastor Scott Adel, pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. I want to always invite our live listeners. If you have a question for me or Pastor Adel, give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also, we thank our underwriters for their support, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you, guys. Uh, Everyone, you can check out their website, lhf.org missions.org. So we just were looking at, still still kind of in this first part of the chapter here, we had read through verse 6, uh, talking about the idea of, you know, how God's people were enduring a, a slaughter. And it, it's, um you, you, you see this consistently, I think, in the prophets, right? Like in, mm-hmm. in Isaiah even, right? Where, um, think of chapter 40, where you have that big transition point. It's like, comfort, comfort my people, right? And the idea is, is um, we, we saw this back in Isaiah, God's going to, you know, judge Babylon because the description that you get in Isaiah is that Babylon's gone too far. But, mm-hmm. but there's the thing. Um, there was a certain point to which they wouldn't have gone too far when they would have just been meeting out the just desserts of uh, the, the disobedience and rebellion of God's people, that God yeah. was using Babylon to punish them. And so uh, you're, you're just to the point you were making before, you're exactly right. Um, it, it's like you have this sense of, you know, these new bad shepherds, yeah, they've gone too far, but to a certain point, they were just actually meeting out God's punishment on the people for what they they had deserved. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. I would just point out, too, and I just thought of this while we were talking earlier. So we just quoted those verses, uh, a shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Many times when the Bible, Old and New uh, Testaments, talk about being a shepherd, they talk in ways that we just don't. When when we say a flock doomed to slaughter, most of us say, well, yeah, that's what sheep are for, right? I mean, you shear them for a while, but then they become (laughs) food. Right. Even in the New Testament, when, when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, he talks about, I'm the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. And we say, no, that's not right. That's not what any of our other shepherds do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I, anyway, it just struck me. Both Old and New Testament yeah. talk about shepherding and taking care of sheep in ways that we've probably never gotten that right. Right. Well, you know that's that's a really that's a really good point, and I'm I'm reminded about earlier when we were in Zechariah ch- uh, chapter six, and we were talking about dapple gray horses, and I'm just like, I don't I don't know. Um, yeah, no, it's true. There's just a lot of this stuff where it just doesn't um, doesn't necessarily intersect with a lot of modern, at least you know, urban and suburban life um, in the way that would have been. I mean, oh, even even shepherds this day, modern shepherds, well, old shepherds, of course that the sheep are yeah. going to slaughter. That's what they're for, right? Yeah. The Bible yeah. doesn't seem to think so. <laughs> well, well, yeah, no, no, right. I mean, just, <laughs> well, I, and I think, and because, you know, this is, this is, you know, again, like, you know, from a perspective that is like, is not that familiar with these things. I, I think the logic is like, you know, you would, of, of course, like you want to, you know, slaughter like a, a portion of them, right. You know, slaughter the fatted uh-huh. calf. Right. But to yeah. have the whole flock, right be slaughtered that's that's a disaster because all of a sudden now you don't i mean you can't your, your your flock can't reproduce you're just out of a job i mean i mean it's just a disaster right this is a kind of akin to like in job right where suddenly job just loses everything all at once right to, mm-hmm. to slaughter you know a portion that that's fine you know a portion that's fine the whole thing that's that's just um you know i mean that that's just disaster not one of them will be taken from my hand, though. But yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. no I, I appreciate it, though. It's just like it's just it's so it's so difficult to kind of wrap our heads around it sometimes. It's just you know, when, you're right. When do we talk this way? Right? Exactly. We, we and, and there really is only one good shepherd. There really is only yes. one who's going to act like that. Well, yes, 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 exactly. Yes, and you have those precursors who 
who, you know, point the way, you know, in that, you know, I mean, Moses, right, um, was literally a shepherd. David was literally a shepherd. And they were good shepherds in a lot of ways, right? You know, I mean, there you had David, you know, defending the the sheep with his uh, staff and his slingshot, right? Um, There you had Moses, right, who... Yeah, so so they they foreshadow it, but all pointing as you were saying ahead to the to the one, and uh, and yes. And speaking of this one here, let's let let's start uh, making a little bit more progress here. This this middle paragraph here in Zechariah eleven is the big one, going from seven to fourteen. This is when we get this, this stuff about this these two staffs, and uh, yeah. So th- th- this is this is going to be an interesting part here, and then we, and then we get the part that actually gets, as you were saying, gets quoted in the New Testament. So let's let's wrap our heads around this for a second. Picking it up at verse seven. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders, and I took two staffs. One I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month, I destroyed the three shepherds, but. I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor, and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel." All right. Yeah, no, it sounds sounds bad. Right? <laughs> like it's stuff was we we had like nice names for the staffs, and then the nice staffs were broken. So this is probably bad, um, probably. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on here, right? I mean, and it's um, you know, you were, you were just talking too about you know stuff where we, there's kind of a disconnect between us uh, and modern life and the Bible, right? Just you yeah. know, weighing out wages and thirty pieces of silver. I mean, what what that even is supposed to kind of mean in an ancient context is easily lost on us. So, uh, as uh, much as as much as we can here, let's try to let's try to break things down. Like, well, what do, what are you seeing here in this paragraph we just read? So I, I do kind of take it as some kind of acted out parable where he becomes a shepherd, and like you said, whether that's actually a shepherd of a sheep flock or in some way made a leader of the people both are maybe fine with me i do actually like the symbolism of him being an actual sheep yeah. shepherd yeah but uh so either way he, zechariah becomes a shepherd and there are obviously other shepherds and as he'd mentioned in previous chapters many of them are not good shepherds and so he takes zechariah takes two staffs with him one he names favor. The other, he names union, which we've seen these kind of names being applied to other things or even people uh, mm-hmm. throughout the Old Testament for some reason. And, so, and he goes and tends the sheep. And it, it right. only takes one month before there are sharp divisions between him as the good shepherd and the other shepherds of the flock. And they yeah. don't like Zechariah. And he does not like them. And so uh, this is just one of the things we, we see throughout the, the scriptures is that when people don't want good leaders, when they don't want good shepherds, the only alternative is bad shepherds. And so Zechariah quits. And on his way out, he breaks these staves, these staffs of favor and union, and he asks for what they owe him, and they settle on his, they settle on his his price. You know, what, you've served us for a month. Here are your wages: thirty pieces of silver. I, I'm guessing at this point, roughly thirty days' wages. 
Right. And then, then he, the Lord tells him, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. And so he breaks uh, the second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Right. Well, so so I want to spend a little bit more time on this Potter yeah. thing, right? Because that, that's uh-huh. what that we're we're going to have to look at that when it gets brought up in the New Testament. Then, but I appreciate what you were saying at first about this this thing with okay. Let, let's say that he's an actual shepherd, right? Uh-huh. And this is the acted out parable, right? That we it's easy to miss this connection, right? And but you mentioned it, right? Um, one month and thirty pieces of silver. That should go hand in hand, right, in, in our minds, um, because it's, it's exactly what you see in the New Testament, too. Um, you know, very often silver, the word, and this is, this is really, again, just speaking to how, you know, we have our ideas of silver, right? You know, we think silver, we're thinking like second place or I don't I don't know, maybe yeah. we're thinking like it's a good like um like a safe haven asset, though it seems like you know, just everything is down right now, not to get too far afield. Uh, but like, you know, we have different ideas about what silver means, right? Maybe it's like, you know, good for certain like industrial applications. Uh, but silver is just kind of the common word for money, right? And, that, yeah. and that's true of both the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek. Uh, silver is just used as like the word for just money, right? And in fact, in some languages today, it's still used that way. Um, mm-hmm. Just in the same way that bread um, in, in these contexts was just a, a word for just food. I mean, you could even use the word bread to not even literally mean bread, but um, just food in general. So, um, it, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, exactly, exactly, right? And so, uh, so, so that's an interesting thing that he mentions a month, right, which is, you know, about 30 days, or actually would have been mm-hmm. exactly 30 days for the most part um, in Hebrew calendar. Um, but then there's like a 30 pieces of silver. So, um, it, it, you wonder exactly what this means, and, and the word in, in verse eight is a weird word um, for mm-hmm. for destroy. It it's not necessarily like the the usual word for destroying. So, you know what exactly this means? Like, you know that he for for one month, right? He was he did this for a month so that the three bad shepherds like were 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 put out, or he wouldn't let the three bad shepherds near the flock or something, right? He's just mm-hmm. like the crazy guy running around with his two stabs, exactly. and he's like, "Hey, yeah. if the left one, if the right one don't get you, then the left one will." Right? I mean, like, I don't, I don't know, right? But there uh-huh. seems to be a connection between like this one month of stuff that's going on, and then the 30, 30 pieces of silver, the wages he gets for taking care of the flock. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, that's how I take it. I mean, there there are other possible connections of thirty pieces. So if you go back to Exodus. Uh, if a slave is gored by an ox, the owner has to give to the master 30 shekels of silver. So, I mean, it's also the price of a slave, uh, at, at least at some point in the Old Testament. There, there are a couple different things that intersect with that. But, of course, either way, the Lord doesn't let him keep it. The, 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 the 30 pieces of silver are going to be thrown away, thrown into the house of the Lord, to the potter, and of course, this is what's quoted in the New Testament in regard to Judas. What what is the price of of a man in the New Testament, at least to Judas and the, the high priest who he consorts with? They think it's worth thirty pieces of silver, right? Uh, that's the price of a man, and he right. he agrees to it. He accepts it. He betrays Jesus, and afterward is sorrowful goes back to them and says, I've betrayed innocent blood, <laughs> at which point they get righteous and say, well, we can't put that in the treasury. That's blood money. And uh, they say, yeah. what will we do? We'll buy the potter's field. Right, right. So now, okay, yes, a lot of things going on there. Um, I appreciate that you're you're kind of bringing us to the question of like, okay, so like what's a man worth, right? Because um, th- th- this is a tricky question, right? Um, you know, was, and, and I'll just kind of put it a little bit more provocatively, um, you know, we've actually been going through a, a Lenten series at, at our church, um, looking at different figures, and uh, we were actually just looking at Judas, right? And th- there's a legitimate question, um, you know, did Judas think he was betraying the Lord over to death, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's, um, 
in in a lot of ways, given actually the thirty pieces price, that that might actually be indicated that he didn't think that that was what was going to happen. Um, and as you mentioned, he felt sorry about it. He felt bad about it. It's not the word for repentance, though, right? Um, it's not no. like he was like, "Oh my goodness, what have I done? I was totally in the wrong." It, it, no. it feels like he's not so much repenting so much as saying like, "Whoa, hey guys, I didn't sign up for that." Right. Like, that's not what we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you could be as cynical as saying, like, you should have paid me more um, to as uh, putting the best construction on things as like, whoa, whoa, whoa hey, I thought you were just going to, like, you know, punish him, like, you know, like put him in jail for a month. Right. Because there is that kind of like one month idea again that, you know, if like yeah. a, as you were mentioning, if a, if a servant gets injured, right, that, that means that they have to take time to recover. That's mm-hmm. lost productivity. Right. So you need to like compensate them for a month to cover the time of recovery. Right. So, I mean, there is this there is this sense of, you know, what do what what do they what do they say they're paying him for? Right. And what does Judas exactly think uh, that he's getting out of out of the deal? So, I mean, it's interesting to compare that, Um, you know, Judas, whatever is exactly going through his head and what that arrangement is. That okay, yeah, thirty days, a thirty days, uh, you know, check here. That seems mm-hmm. good for disrupting things, right? Um, yeah. To then it becoming blood money. That's a that's a very interesting twist in this comparison between Zechariah eleven and the situation in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, this is this is the one that gets quoted, and they uh, they use it as a as a as a prophecy. Right? Yeah. They, they say this is this is what the prophet said. Well, and, and we should we should maybe just just briefly here maybe like take a look at that. So I think um, we're we're talking about Acts chapter one, right? Um, where it's in Acts chapter one that they're they're looking to replace Judas, right? And and, and Matthias is the one who's eventually um, chosen, right? But there you have in Acts chapter 1, um, Peter stands up, it says, among the, the, the brothers who numbered about 120 and says, um, you know, the scripture had to be fulfilled, right? And so then he he goes and he um, he says, what is it here? It's in, in verse, uh, yeah, it's in verse 18 that you can kind of get the explanation. Uh, now this man, referring to Judas, acquired a field. Um, with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, a Keldama, that is field of blood. So, uh, and, and I think actually that in the gospels themselves too, they talk a little bit more about this. So, I mean, like what, what is the 27 is the one I was quoting, but yeah. Okay, yes, right. And that's actually the one where you actually get like the 30 pieces mentioned again, right? Do you have that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, then what was then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Right. And there and there's actually the part where you have um the mention of the, the potter um, though, of course, as as you just kind of inflected here, um, <laughs> <laughs> spoken by by who again? <laughs> by who again? <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. So, and that's not that's not the first time that that's happened, right? Like where no. you, you know you think of of Mark, right? Who is like just like just like Isaiah said, right? And then you know the exactly uh-huh. cite Isaiah. Well, exactly anyway. But um, you know that's a that's a kind of a it, it's it's not so much of a problem so much as a, as again like it's just a different way of looking at as a disconnect between, you know, modern practices and ancient ones. But uh, yeah, so, so you got, you got these different, um, you know, citations and applications here, you know, um, there it's a direct quotation actually in Matthew 27. Um, There you kind of get the parallel illusion in acts. Uh, Okay. So, so hang on though. Like what, what is this, this Potter business though? Right. I mean, like, you know, here it's um, like the money is getting used to buy this field um, which which it says, I think, in Matthew 27, ends up being used as a burial ground for people who basically don't have family uh, graves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so it becomes this kind of communal, um, you know, uh, graveyard. For strangers, yeah. Yeah, for strangers, right? Or, or one might imagine, like, especially, like, the poor who don't have, 
uh, yeah. money or family who can help out, which is, I think, kind of ironic given that Judas like uh, seemed to be so concerned about the poor not being taken care of with that money that was wasted <laughs> on the ointment. So in the end, the wages get uh, to help go. the poor out, right? That is nice. That's, uh, did. Yeah. That's a little, yeah, a little bit of like some kind of weird poetic justice there. But but yeah, like what, what is anything. the yeah, yeah, but but what what is the Potter business here in? Uh, I mean, I mean, what I mean, really, what is this Potter thing referring to in in both contexts here, both in Zechariah eleven and in Matthew twenty seven? That is a good question that I don't know if anyone settled. Uh, other than he, he says it, the Lord says to throw it to the Potter. This seems to be. He, it says he throws him into the house of the Lord. So yeah, the speculation is there is a perhaps a potter working in the house of the Lord, maybe to make holy vessels for use in the temple or something along these lines. Mm -hmm. uh, the the other place that, and it, it is actually Jeremiah that talks about it, is like Jeremiah 18, when Jeremiah goes and visits a potter, and the Lord tells him to, and the Lord brings him to a potter's house, and he sees the potter working at the wheel, and like the piece that he's making gets bungled and yet the potter reworks it into a good piece uh, is, is maybe what's going through Matthew's head when he's thinking of potter and prophet, these kind of things running together. But yeah. I don't know, do you have a special take on the potter? Well, I mean, I like what you were saying, like about, you know, that Matthew's kind of doing like a combo citation, right? Because it seems mm -hmm. like that's that's like what Mark was doing when he was like citing um, yeah. not just um, Isaiah, but also Malachi, right? Like you, you kind of you kind of put things together, you, you kind of braid the citations and, mm -hmm. and the allusions together and you don't have to necessarily like quote, you know, every single like, you know, book, chapter, verse, right? Like you, you right. kind of have like a, a combo citation. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I do, I do like that um, for kind of helping us understand like Matthew's idea, but, but yeah, for what Zechariah has in mind, like there's, there's no like, um, you know, indication that, I don't know, it's like, you know, blood money or like he has to get rid of it. Like no. it, it's unclean money and he, he has to throw no. it away or something like that. I mean, in fact, as you were saying, it says he he actually throws this is the, the kind of ironic part he actually throws 30 pieces of silver into the house of the lord which means into the temple yeah. whereas in Matthew 27 right the the money can't go into the temple treasury right so <laughs> I, I mean, mean he, so yeah he yeah, does so, throw so it down a, but uh yeah well yeah yeah no, that that's right but it's like like no it, it can't go into the temple and here in Zechariah 11 it's like go into the temple right so yeah. there, there's like this kind of like ironic reversal I think and, and I think that's actually um a little a little bit what what Matthew has in mind even by, by citing this like saying like hey look like there's there's something upside down about this whole whole thing right I mean because I mean because the whole thing is upside down right there they are in um of course in the passion narrative trying to maintain their ritual purity so they can keep the Passover. And they yep. do that by wrongly executing the true Passover lamb of God. So, I mean, the whole and, thing is upside down. And there is a thing in Matthew and the rest of the Gospels, too, about the temple and the priesthood is upside down. I mean, when you get yep. the fig tree being cursed and yep. the, the, the top to bottom, it's upside down. And if you want to tie it in with Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, yes, it was bungled. It was wrecked. But God is going to work a beautiful piece out of it. Even of that, he's going to work a beautiful piece out of it. A Amen. I, I think that that really, I mean, helps, like, understand, like, kind of the overall arc of this. So, you know, regardless of what exactly to the potter means, if it's like, you know, there's there's actually a literal potter there. I mean, it, it does seem like in a lot of ways, if, if he's literally being a shepherd, maybe there's a literal potter in there, right? Yeah. Um, you know. Maybe it's something like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, even God is called the potter and we are called the vessels, right? So like maybe that's just a way of referring to God even. I mean, I mean, who knows exactly, but kind of like regardless, um, the, the shape of it, right, is this reversal that, you know, God commands Zechariah to do this thing and to represent, um, you know, the, the shepherding, right, which which he gets no benefit from. Um, he he right. just, you know, gives it all to God, which is what really the shepherds are supposed to be doing, Right giving everything mm -hmm. to God and, and to have to God go all the glory and the riches and the power forever and ever. Amen. Right. Um, except for that right now, the, the 
I mean, they're, they're in it for the money, the shepherds, right? So, I mean, yeah. I think that that's kind of the bigger, the bigger thing in, in Zechariah's case, that he's illustrating that, you know, the shepherds, they're not supposed to be in it for the money. The shepherds are not supposed to be trying to make a profit off of selling the sheep to be slaughtered. Yeah. Right. And, um, well, and I, I think this is why, I mean, many of these acted out prophecies are definitely odd. And one of the things that they're supposed to do is, A, be prophetic. It's actually talking about some, some way that God is working that right. looks unusual to people. And, and the goal, or at least one of the goals, is to get people to ask, well, why are you doing that? What do you mean right. when, you, when you throw the—what what are you doing? And sometimes they ask, just like when the, the disciples come up and ask about the parables— Sometimes they don't, and yep. then it's not explained to them because they don't actually care, and they're they're fine. If if he was the good shepherd and they don't like him, as I said earlier, that leaves you only with bad shepherds, and the bad shepherds right. are going to devour you. Well, and, and speaking of, right, um, we don't really have much time, but I think we've kind of got the idea here. Let me just finish reading this this part out. The, in contrast to the bad shepherds who devour, here's verse 15 to the end. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. And behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. Uh, so, so again, you, you, you just see that contrast between uh, a shepherd who's protecting from the bad shepherds, who's not in it for the money, versus the one who is being totally selfish. Uh, you know, historically, you know, is there a small fulfillment in this with, with um, you know, the situation with the Seleucids, with the corrupt priesthood? Uh, you know, perhaps, but I think as you were rightly pointing us, uh, really big fulfillment, right? Let, let's let's talk about Annas and Caiaphas, right? You know who mm-hmm. you know were representing some real corruption going on there. Let's talk about Jesus Christ, who was not only the good shepherd but the true and rightful high priest. So um, I appreciate you walking through a difficult chapter with us, but helping mm-hmm. us make sense of it and uh, pointing us back to Christ and making some connections, brother. So thank you. Thank you. Everybody, that was Pastor Scott Adel, pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in, perfect name, right? Um, Collinsville, Illinois. Moving on to Zechariah chapter 12. Only a few chapters left in Zechariah. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word. Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.